This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in, and we appreciate you, as always, sharing the podcast. We will be doing part two today on the religion of Freemasonry. You can find part one at StandUpForTheTruth.com, or you can go to HarbingersDaily.com. They um, published it as well. Um, so part two coming up. And by the way, up in the search, you can type in Freemasonry or Freemasons, and you'll see the first one we did last month with Pastor John Pinnell. But I want to remind you guys, tomorrow, of course, midterm elections um, and I really strongly encourage you as Christians not to shirk your responsibility and your privilege of voting and letting people know what you want represented in your government. What do you want from government? What do you want from legislation? What morality? Whose morality will be legislated after Tuesday, uh, tomorrow? I want to direct you to an, several great articles over at Harbinger's Daily. One of them is called, Where's the Salt? Christians Must Understand the Stewardship of the vote. And we should personally advocate for the sanctity of human life, marriage between one man and one woman, um, capitalism as opposed to socialism and um, Marxism, honor God's created order, and we should vote for candidates who come closest to upholding these biblical values. This will keep the family healthy and society healthy. And of course, uh, the church has to be engaged. There's so much more to say about that, but we didn't um, want to get into it in too much detail, but I, I want to get a pastor's perspective from today's guest, Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa. He's been serving there, senior pastor, since 2005. And by the way, CCLV streams their praise and worship 24-7 along with the reading and teaching of God's Word on the church's radio station. It's WLGS 101.5. You can stream online. Uh, John also hosts The Cleansing Word Podcast. We'll have those links today in the Stand Up For The Truth blog. He and his wife, Lily, have been married for 43 years, two children, five grandchildren, and uh, he has also spent 20 years of his life as a brick mason. John Pinnell, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. David, great to be back with you. And uh, one correction on that, I think that 2005 was when we started broadcasting our radio station Lily and I have been part of the church actually since 1994. Wow. I became the pastor in 1999. So in 1994, I was uh, trying to get a Calvary Chapel going in a different city, and uh, we had connections and fellowship with Calvary Chapel Lake Villa. So I ultimately became the pastor there 23 years ago. Another correction is since the last time we talked, uh, Lily and I have been married 44 years now. 44, yeah. well, happy anniversary. <laughs> we missed that one a couple of weeks ago, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, a couple of weeks ago, or it was the beginning of October. Our okay. anniversary was the October 21st. So Awesome. Yes. So I was listening to your rundown on the importance of the elections. And yes. I would add, too, uh, children, uh, Jesus and Matthew nineteen fourteen said, let the little children come to me, do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that God, we know, it's not a I believe statement, we know in Scripture that God has a heart for widows, orphans, children, and there are a lot of hindering going on in our government oh, today boy. against our children, which is another great reason to get out and vote and to... Uh, Make sure we get it, get to the polls, and you know, yes. praying that God would um, do a, a work. Obviously, we're wanting to see change, and the other side of that, we know that the change comes, maybe, possibly politically, but mm-hmm. more so, it's got to be a change of the heart of this nation as well. Amen. And we need revival in this nation. And I, you know, a common quoted passage from Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, 
I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Mm. And that is a target to the church, my people. Yeah. God's talking to his people, not the secular body of people that we have in this nation of ours, but right. talking to the church itself. For us down here in our area of Lake County, Illinois, we're actually uh, going to be part of a prayer meeting tonight beginning at 7 p.m. They did this at the last election, and their location was too small hmm. for people to Great. come and go and pray. So they got a, another church with a bigger auditorium, and we'll see what happens. But the church is encouraging the body of Christ to gather together to pray tonight for tomorrow's elections for our nation. Amen. Amen. I want to just, just clarify, add what you pointed out. Second Chronicles uh, 7.14, was the context was to Israel, God's people Israel. But there is a principle of when a people or a nation, or even personally we repent and turn back to God, um, there's a principle there that, that he will bless us. I want to also add one of the things we are voting for as Christians in this nation is to protect our children and future generations. And Jesus once warned about those who lead children astray that it would be better to have a millstone hung around their neck and were cast into the sea than cause one of these little ones to sin or stumble. And you can go to Luke 17 too for that. But I'm... Um, just really disturbed at uh, the mainstreaming and queering of America with the drag queen agenda. And we've talked about that, and I've got an article coming out this week on that, but that's not today's topic. Pastor John, we're going to review what we did last month briefly, and that was part one on uh, Freemasonry. And we started off by saying right off the top, it is a religion, and it is not Christian. I, I want to add, a lot of people go in it with good intentions, Um but I also want to quote a friend of ours of the podcast. He will be back here, here on the podcast next month, Carl Teichrib. He said, The man, therefore, who joins Freemasonry under the pretense that we make good men better, places himself in a most difficult position where man is ascribed to be God and thereby able to perfect himself through his own efforts. We have, in effect, another gospel that excludes the cross and leaves man to seek after his own devices. Hence, the souls of all involved may be imperiled by a human method that cannot save. Scripture runs counter to the ideas of the Lodge and Freemasonry, which seeks to, which seeks mystical perfection through its own works, making it an avenue that delivers the antithesis of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. End quote. So, Pastor John, I would just love for you to respond to that as we just want to say at the very beginning that Freemasonry is not biblical and your response to some strong word, words from Carl Teichrib. Yeah, um, just picking up from where we had the show last month, uh, I was raised around a Masonic Lodge in Waukegan, Illinois. My dad was part of the lodged there and actually went through uh, 32 of the Scottish Rite degrees within the lodge. There is a 33rd degree. We'll talk about that a little later mm-hmm. in the show. But um, so he was pretty active when I was young, got less active as he became a Christian and saw that kind of divide happen and uh, maybe even a struggle with my dad and mom being part of active in the lodge, Hmm. but it was really uh, part of the culture that we grew up in. And a lot of people in the church were part of the lodge as well. And so that fraternity, which the author you just quoted was talking about the fraternity of brotherhood was very important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for my dad kind of originally only a belief in God but apart from Christ, because he wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, that was attracting to him. But uh, me being a child growing up around lodge activities certainly doesn't make me an expert in uh, the Masonic Order, mm-hmm. but uh, reading through the material, even personally questioning some of the things when my dad was living that the lodge did, what makes me 
able to kind of look at this is the Word of God. The one thing that is really amazing to me is that every Masonic Grand Lodge in the United States, it would be uh, every state has a Grand Lodge. Maybe some countries there's a Grand Lodge for the whole country, but here in the United States there's a Grand Lodge in Wisconsin, one in Illinois, one in Michigan, and so on. And uh, they kind of determine what their lodges will be in that state. They have no foundational scriptures, we might say, if we look at it in a biblical sense. And so you have over 100,000 books written about Freemasonry, and yet really no true standard Hmm. for Masons to go to and say, this is the law. And so it, it kind of varies from lodge to lodge. Interesting. Which also makes it kind of questionable because uh, you're not given any set standard, so you wonder how it can keep us from going astray. I'm just trying to look at it from a lodge member's perspective and just questioning some of those things. What is their true foundation? And that's something that is important to look at because it does present itself, I believe, as another gospel yes. for many men. Um, especially here in the United States, because normally the lodges here in the United States use the Bible as their Word of God authority. But as one of the past members that my dad's lodge was a uh, was part of, he said that the Bible is always on the altar, but it's never opened. Wow, so that's interesting. They have the Word of God, but they don't use the Word of God because... It's just a symbol. It's like the other symbols. It just becomes a symbol to them Mm. of their belief in God, or we could say a God that we looked at last time, because depending on lodge membership and where you're at in the world, it might be, you know, the God of the Koran that you're Mm -hmm. worshiping. So any God will do as far as a Freemason is concerned. So once again, there's another clue that it's another gospel. Yes, and let's just clarify something, lest we look down our noses on you know the Freemasons or anyone else who has a Bible but doesn't open it, where many of us grew up in families where there was a big, big, mega white Bible, uh, white-covered Bible in the middle of the table, coffee table in our living rooms, and it was never opened. It was there for, I don't know, decoration, or it was just there. It wasn't to be touched. It was just symbolic, I guess. But let's clarify also, most Masons get involved with good intentions, maybe out of peer pressure, their friends are in it, or their grandfather was in it, or some do it to go into um, Freemasonry for business reasons. Others see people like the Shriners on their their television commercials with the adorable blankets you can get if you just uh, support the Shriners. We're going to talk about that because we didn't get into that uh, very much last time, because the Shriners have some corruption in their history. But I want to clarify again what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast last time. We said uh, one definition of Freemasonry is that it's a very peculiar system of morality, veiled in allegory, illustrated by symbols, and expressed through rituals, oaths, good works, and achieving degrees. And there's a mystery behind some of it. As you said, a lot of them might disagree on exactly what it is or what their history or foundations are, uh, being a secret organization in a way. And they appear to be harmless. They, they have fellowship, um, camaraderie, community, which is a very important aspect of it. And it should be an aspect of our churches as well, community. But many of them, let's, let's just say this again, emphasize the fact that they promote a belief in God, but in the existence of a supreme being. Some call it G-A-O, the great architect of the universe, G-A-O-T-U, the great architect of the universe. It includes the gods of Islam, Hinduism, or any other religion. So they don't necessarily promote Jesus Christ as the one true God, but the existence of a supreme being. John, would you like to add anything to that before we move on? Sure. Um so at my dad's lodge that he was a part of, they did use the Bible, as I said, most in the United States do. And uh, when they gave my dad, it was actually his first Bible, um, they said to him, in this book, you will find the answers to life. And so we kind of ended the show last time talking about 
for me, my dad would later testify that I did find the answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Mm. And so he received his first Bible at a Masonic Lodge. So God can use the worst, strangest circumstances sometimes to bring people into his kingdom. But that appeal of the Lodge, and this is probably what happened with my dad, especially where he worked. And uh, I'd mentioned that I worked at the same factory only for a brief time when I was 18 years old. But um, I just thought of it this week that my supervisor on second shift um, was part of the Masonic Lodge. Hmm. And it seems like, you know, that brotherhood, that they support one another, that the social prestige that it offers, the brotherhood it offers, the hope of a religious quest of becoming a better man. These things are appealing to men, uh, Freemasons. But the other side of this, most Masons uh, only get through the first three degrees. It's called the Blue Lodge. So that's just like the basics. And that's where they stop. Mm -hmm. As I said, my dad went all the way to the 32nd degree, and these are all earned degrees. The 33rd degree is something that is gifted. You cannot earn it. But most Masons that we have, uh, they're just at that what is deemed in the Masonic Lodge would be the lower order. Mm -hmm. Um, And they really don't know a lot about the higher or deeper mysteries, the occultism even though, if you would just honestly look at the symbols, <laughs> right there you have the questions. Yep. You can see occultism all over the place. That's right. Um, just by looking at the symbols they use. And we'll go into that a little bit more in the next segment. We're, we're actually down to three minutes already, John. It goes by fast. But I, I, yeah, it does. A brief history of Freemasonry. Uh, it, it, you can trace it back possibly to the Middle, uh, the Middle Ages. Um, 1717, four lodges in London formed the first Grand Lodge of Eng- England, according to one site. The fraternity spread throughout Europe and then the American colonies. And you can go back to 1660, and there's some evidence that exists of gentlemen being made Freemasons. But the 1700s is what we can really actually trace some of it back to. And, John, we just have two minutes left, so do you want to just, just go back to where we're going to start now as far as origins, and we'll pick it up after the break. Yeah, really the origins trace back to the building of the castles and cathedrals in Europe. Hmm. Um, and this traces you know, back into the 1400s, 1500s, um, wow. but it was real masons. Okay. And men who knew how to lay brick and stone and their laborers who formed this trade guild. And so that's the origins. But when the castles and the cathedrals kind of died out and there was no work on hand to do, well, that's where this, um, what we'll talk about of having speculative masons and operative masons uh, kind of come into play. Mm -hmm. So there's terms there that basically speaks about those who know how to lay stone and those who do not. That's right. And that's kind of where we get into the 1700s with masonry. Okay, and there were some good things. In fact, we'll start the next segment just by mentioning some of the good things they've done or they just started out doing. Um, They were formed to care for widows and orphans of masons who died. So they started right there with some good intentions and just trying to help out uh, the community. Uh, so there are some good things, but again, we want to just clarify as far as the beliefs and the occult influence. And we haven't even mentioned Mormonism yet. There's some fascinating history there. I've got a book by an ex-Mormon, uh, Ed Decker. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what he shared and warnings he shared about similarities between uh, Mormonism and Freemasonry and some of the symbols and rituals and practices. Uh, on the line, Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, Illinois, that's cclv.org. Continuing Freemasonry Part 2 when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo. 
from the early centuries, Freemasonry developed. I just want to mention before we continue here, uh, there was a worldwide fraternity that emphasized personal study, self-improvement, and social betterment via individual involvement and philanthropy. During the late 1700s, Freemasonry was one of the organizations most responsible for spreading the ideals of the Enlightenment, the dignity of man, and the liberty of the individual, the right of all persons to worship as they choose, the formation of democratic governments, the importance of public education, um, and that's just a handful of things as far as the background and influence of Freemasonry. Um, John, before we go on, um, I want to ask you, as it came over to America in various forms and influences, a lot of people have heard the accusation that America's founding fathers were all Freemasons, right? They were either occult influenced or they, they were not Christians. And there's so much evidence against that. When it, if you look at our founding documents, uh, anything that you can find that has been written, not just, I'm not talking about the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. I'm talking about personal writings and documentation from our founding fathers. They quoted the Bible or referred to God, Jesus, the biblical worldview over 90% of the time in documents that you can actually find, people can research. So I want to know how you as a pastor respond when you hear someone, it could be an atheist or whatever, a leftist say, this country was never a Christian nation, we never had that influence because our founders were Freemasons. How do you respond to that? Well, I think that uh, the use of the Word of God with the Founding Fathers is a sense that they were always pointing the people of our nation to the right source, mm. always pointing them back to God the Father, back to the Word of God, and uh, that's a very good thing. You can have people who are twisted in their theology, their beliefs, um, but they can present the Word of God, and people can get saved, because the truth of the Word of God is what is important Um and it's important for individuals to try to walk in the truth of the Word of God, but that's not always the case. But I'm always happy that God's Word will stand on its own, even if it's misused by individuals um, and perhaps even by our Founding Fathers. And we do know that a lot of the Founding Fathers um, were part of the Masonic Lodge. I remember from uh, probably when I was in my early 20s, uh, hearing that the Lodge saying that the Boston Tea Party, uh, before the Boston Tea Party happened, there was a Masonic Lodge meeting, and basically inferring that it was the Lodge members who dressed up like the Indians and went out and uh, did the Boston Tea Party, throwing the tea and the stuff in the harbor there. So there is those connections. Uh, George Washington, just look up the Masonic Lodge in George Washington, and you'll see a picture of him with his apron on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a, a Lodge member there. And so he was part of that higher order, which does cause a struggle. I was even wondering, um, reading material about this since the last time we did a show, and it caused me to question as I said, the church I grew up with had many Lodge members in part of that church, and it caused me to question is how much of the Lodge theology was actually starting to get into the teachings of Sunday school. I don't know if the pastor was a Lodge member or not, but I know that several of the Sunday school teachers, perhaps my Sunday school teacher and junior high boys, was a Lodge member, and how much of that teaching would get in. Um, because if you're studying things that are maybe close to God, but not truly the Word of God, you can get skewed in your beliefs and even how you teach that in a fellowship. And so that's what I'd be more concerned with, uh, whether our founding fathers, I was looking at some claim that the whole city of Washington, D.C. is um, 
laid out in a Masonic Pentagon yes. with the upside down uh, upside down Pentagon with the points directing right to the White House, mm-hmm. saying that Satan is able to fill the White House. And uh, so, you know, that's things of history that, you know, we can argue about. Um, but we should also take that good, the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God that we find with yes. our founding fathers and cling to that, Yes, cling to what we know is true, and not that we disregard, disregard um, the failed humanity, because we're all failed humanity, but more so let's strive to cling to that which we know is true, and we can kind of discuss the other things as far as whether Washington was uh, laid out on a upside-down pentagon. Um, <laughs> some say so. Some others would say that, no, it's not a true pentagon. It doesn't work out. And so we can have discussions about that, but we need to keep looking to the truth of the Word of God, Amen. of God, for our foundation and for the principles of the life that we strive to live here on this earth. Amen. And again, friends, we emphasize, uh, go and research our founding documents and l- personal letters that were written, writings of uh, the signers of the Declaration, our founding fathers, George Washington. You, I mean, some of his speeches, my goodness, uh, pointing to the one true God. But So that's up for another conversation another time. Uh, but let's go back to what you said about the apron. Um, that's one of the things they use. And the, it's interesting, the more that you look at masonry, the more you realize the depth of occult influence. And you look at the Mormon church, where and I'm looking at a book about Freemasonry in the Lodge from a former Mormon. I think he was a Mormon for 20 years. His name is Ed Decker. And he says the temple rituals for the Mormon church were directly lifted from the Masonic Blue Lodge degrees. Other portions of the Scottish rites, such as the ordination of the Holy Melchizedek priesthood, were also in common. So what can you tell us about the apron and whatever ritual or I know they swear oaths and things like that, but just commenting on this former Mormons. Now, of course, he's a Bible believing Christian and his his saying that these temple rituals were taken from the Masonic Blue Lodge and a lot of things the Mormons have used or are using. So the apron, uh, it, it is given to you at the first degree. So becoming a mason, you get an apron, that apron symbolizing work, um, but also it's, it's supposed to symbolize innocence, purity, and honor. And we talked about this a little bit last time because um, the apron for a mason when he dies is supposed to be buried with it like wearing his apron, mm-hmm. kind of a works for salvation. And that's one of the big dangers of the Masonic Lodge. And they talk about the good works of the Lodge, and it really gives that feel of a works for salvation, which a lot of people have that mentality. And we know, according to the Word of God, that we are saved by faith in Christ alone and the work of Christ alone, not by our works, lest anyone should boast. And so the apron is a symbol of that work. They're supposed to be buried with it. Um, We've had discussions in my family with my sisters, and we cannot, none of my sisters, I said on the last show, I don't know where the apron is, and none (laughs) of my sisters said, yeah, we can't find it either, so we don't know what happened to my dad's apron. (laughs) But uh, that is something that they, you know, start. It's one of the first things they receive. They'll get a Bible in our in the United States, commonly would get a Bible, depending on what religion that lodge might be attached to. Um, but also you have the square and the compass, that G in the square and the compass, which some say, and it goes back to having no single authority, yes. over 100,000 books written about Freemasonry, and yet there's no like one book that they can turn to. Mm-hmm. So some say it symbolizes God, others geometry, and others, Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism, we have that tie in the New Testament. The Apostle John dealt with that topic in First John. Yes. So it's something that is still being dealt with. 
Another thing that I was familiar with was the sprig of acacia. Mm. Um, this also was involved in the messianic funerals. Messianic, I got to make masonic funerals. Yeah, it's not. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's so easy for me to kind of trip those two up. But <laughs> masonic funerals um, that it was supposed to be a symbol of life and. Uh, more rightly, uh, the promise of God in a person's life, so a symbol of their faith. And they would have a sprig at a Masonic funeral, so with the apron, with the Bible that, you know, my dad had received, let's say, and then they would have this sprig from one of the pine trees around here to represent that uh, symbol of faith and the promise of God in a Mason's life. So there are a lot of symbolisms in the Mason Lodge, Macy, the Masonic Lodge. I keep wanting to say the other thing, but that would be wrong. The Masonic Lodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, these rituals go with the symbolism. And, you know, some of these are just symbols, like the square and a compass. While others, they have occultic um, meanings behind them, and uh, they are pretty evident, which even as a child, it always had me questioning uh, the occultic symbols that we would see at the Lodge. Mm -hmm. It just seemed wrong, because I was being raised to know the Lord through the Word of God. (laughs) And uh, it was something that was just kind of puzzling to me. It's like, why are you using all those occultic symbols? It didn't make sense to me. Hmm. But now we know at the origins, you know, it, um, it goes back to the origins and there are men within the lodge that uh, they have a different motive than that of knowing through the Christ mm. and the God who created the heavens and the earth. It's almost like the Tower of Babel, and I mentioned this last time in a different way, but since our last show, it's as if the Masons view themselves as becoming a stone in the tower. We're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens, we're going to do kind of man's thing. But every mason becoming a stone in that tower, Hmm. the more masons you help to bring into the lodge, then you're helping to build that tower of humanity, basically, that we can be God um, and bring about our own salvation apart from God. So, friends, I encourage you just to do a search for symbols of Freemasonry. And one of the main ones you'll see is the one we're discussing right now with uh, the, the compass there, the the G in the middle. One of them has a sun, S-U-N, and the all-seeing eye, uh, enlightenment, um, and pillars. But I want to go back to something you said about the acacia sprig. Because I read something about it relating specifically to the Master Mason ceremony and the ritual of a man named Hiram Abif or Abif, H I R A M A B I F F. His death. If you look at some of the um, what do you call those windows that uh, different colored windows in churches, um, you can stained glass windows. Yes, stained glass windows. You see, there's this picture of him in. Freemasonry and and some of the churches there, some of the the buildings, and who was this guy? And apparently they they symbolized that sprig with um, the story of the plant used to mark Hiram Abiff's death, like a temporary grave, and it's seen as a token of his death, the sprig, which is interesting. Um, do you what can you tell us about the the man or anything else about the sprig relating to that, John? Oh, my only knowledge of that sprig was, um, so for my dad, um, I did not allow uh, a Masonic funeral at um, his funeral, but they did do something at the wake the day before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was like my first introduction to the sprig itself, that, um, you know, promising life and something that they had in the ceremony itself. I even remember the Mason who oversaw the ceremony for my dad 
and this was something that, you know, I just kind of um, had a little argument, I guess, with my mom about some of these things because I, my fear was, and it, it might be absolutely true, that, uh, you know, the Masonic Lodge would show that uh, the Lodge was a pathway to God. Mm. And uh, so the very next day, when we actually had my dad's funeral, we had two preachers preach at my dad's funeral. He was a pastor. And, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, we even had one person came to accept Christ at my dad's funeral um, because of the words that were spoken about him that had nothing to do with the Lodge. It was all about Christ. Mm. And so these things are symbols. And again, uh, I was first introduced to it. Um, at a funeral service, they would say this evergreen is an em- emblem of our faith by which we are reminded that we have an immortal part which shall survive the grave and which will never die. Mm. And so it was a kind of a look to the future of eternity, but we know that true eternity, as far as life is concerned, only comes through Jesus Christ. And so for them, a symbol and I don't have the history. You have more history on it than I do. Yeah, and there's as so far much as the sprig itself. Yeah. yeah, and there's there's so much, friends. You can just do some uh, some research yourself. I've got, I mean, 20 pages of notes here. We'll probably get through like six of them, but and a couple books too. So look up the symbols. Just be somewhat familiar with them. Um, one of the concerns is, as we have two minutes left in this segment, uh, later oh. times they added to the symbolism on the very bottom the words faith, hope, and charity. Now, that's right out of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, faith, hope, and love. And they added that, I'm thinking, to, maybe they wanted to go by that, but they also wanted to draw Christians to Freemasonry. John, your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, if if Christians would know the truth about Freemasonry, if they they would never get involved. Mm -hmm. So they have to mask it. They have to make it look like a fraternity, a brotherhood of good works. Uh, something that would uh, bring in, you know, fellowship and charity and equality. They have to do this. Otherwise, uh, people walking in with eyes wide open, they would say, yeah, I want no part of that. And that's what happened with me. My dad said, when I was in my early 20s, I'd like to sponsor you in the lodge. And I asked him why. And everything he described when he got done describing the Brotherhood of the Lodge, I said, that's what the church is supposed to be. Yes. So um, if the church is failing, then it's our fault. We're going to come back, talk briefly about the ritual journey, the Blue Lodge, the apprentice degree, Master Mason's degree. We will talk about the Shriners a little bit. And you mentioned something about Scotland Yard that I found fascinating. More on Stand Up for the Truth coming up next on Freemasonry. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So we talked a little bit about the degrees of Freemasonry. We talked about the Blue Lodge being the foundation. Um, in almost every little town and city, uh, you can find information, uh, you know, where you can find information on the apprentice degree uh, then there's the uh, Fellow Craft degree, Master Mason degree, the Scottish Rite, one of the advanced degrees, or the York Rite. Um, we are going to talk, and then the, my goodness, the, the Blood Oaths. And this is really amazing from the rituals of the Blue Lodges, where uh, all 33 degrees of Freemasonry, every Mason in the world is bound by bloody oaths to maintain the secrets of the Lodge. These binding oaths are kept through the spirit of fear because the penalties for betraying the brethren of the lodge include serious physical harm to the mason. Interesting things, and as you said, John, some people go in it not knowing Christ. In fact, most probably, most men go in not knowing Christ. And let's talk about what you sent me regarding uh, the Scotland Yard because I'm looking at the history of Freemasonry in, in 1736, there was a Grand Lodge of Scotland that was established, and you told me a little bit of history from 1975-76. Uh, what happened, and uh, why is that interesting? Well, it really shows the 
a strong pull of the brotherhood of the lodge. And so what happened in Scotland Yard was that there was a organization within an organization and actually the brotherhood of the lodge uh, was the stronger pull of the lodge members, which actually caused a lot of corruption to come into Scotland Yard, where they tried to deal with it initially by relocating a bunch of the detectives, about 300 of them. Ultimately, nearly 300 had to resign. So they were probably trying to um, get away from being prosecuted. We'll just re- resign and you guys can you know, go on. But this happened in, in uh, 1974, 1975. And uh, you can read about it uh, right now when you look up the Scott Moon Yard, they refer to the kind of the biggest uh, criminal organization within the Scotland Yard, some of the worst corruption Hmm. in the last 40 years. So that's currently going on the last few years. But when they're talking about in the last 40 years, they're talking about what happened in 1974, 1975, uh, when the Masons, and the thing is, is they had uh, Scotland Yard detectives and criminals from Scotland, all part of the same lodge. So they were supporting the Brotherhood and actually uh, becoming a vice. There was a big porn ring involved in this um, and became part of the vice of the criminals themselves, the detectives, because they wouldn't snitch on their lodge brothers. And so it became a pretty horrific thing. So I found this quote by R.A. Torrey, a track that he had written, and he was a pastor in Chicago, the track was called My Reasons for Not Joining the Masonic Fraternity. And one of the sentences in there, he said, To my own personal knowledge, masonry has been used to protect criminals and other evildoers from the just consequences of their wrongdoing. Mm. So Tory said, From my own personal knowledge, they have been used to protect criminals. And, you know, according to the Word of God, again, we go back to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen: you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, twists the words of the righteous. And it seems like at times this is what is happening, where they are perverting justice because of their fellow Lodge members. Hmm. Um, when they, they have these secret signs and handshakes, so That's right. a lodge brother can call out to their other lodge brother without even saying a word through a secret sign, and uh, then you are supposed to come to the distress of your brother. Hmm. So that is kind of the, some of the oddities about the Masonic Lodge. Now, I never remember my dad shaking any different way than how he taught me to shake a hand, <laughs> a firm handshake. That's right. But perhaps he did use it, and I just never noticed it. But by the handshakes, uh, they are able to tell another Lodge member whether you're a Lodge member or not just by shaking the hand. Interesting. Um, And then when you shake the hand, you can kind of tell what degree Mason you're shaking with if you are both Masons. Wow. So someone who's a 32nd versus maybe a third degree Mason, part of that Blue Lodge or the lower level of the Lodge. Mm. Fascinating stuff. Um I'm thinking in, in this book, I just want to share a fascinating point that you choose one or the other. If you're a Mason, if you claim to be Christian, because a lot of people claim it's a form of Christianity um, or it is Christian. Uh, we, I don't subscribe to that belief that it is, obviously. But it says, even as Elijah called out on Ma- Mount Carmel, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. We cry out, how long will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. That's from 1 Kings chapter 18. And I just want to read this. I don't remember, John, if I read this on the, on the last, um, the first podcast we did in part one, bowing at every altar. It says the true Mason is not creed bound. He realizes with the divine uh, illumination of his lodge that as a Mason, his religion must be universal. Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, 
The name means little, for he recognizes only the light and not the light bearer. He worships at every shine, every shrine, bows before every altar, whether in temple, mosque, cathedral, realizing with his truer understanding the oneness of all spiritual truth. End quote. That's from The Lost Keys of Freemasonry. Um, the author's name is Hall. That was put out by, well, anyway, it was 1976. So, uh, John, it mentions shrine, worshiping at every shrine, and we have the shriners that we didn't touch on um, yet. We talked briefly about the fez, the red fez, last time. Some very uh, disturbing history when it comes to the shriners, and you found also they've been involved in corruption. Uh, no surprise, because they are human beings, but uh, share with us whatever you can about the Shriners. Yeah, pretty large. As far as what we know from the Shriners, we see the commercials for the Shriners Hospital and the good works that they do, and that's part of the appeal mm-hmm. of masonry, um, the good works, the brotherhoods, to be seen in the community, and part of it is to put on this facade of good works that there'll be acceptance two ways one that there's acceptance in the community but also it is a a way for them to get greater membership as well so people wanting to be part of the humanitarian activities of Mm -hmm. the lodge but there are uh here i have uh the daily tribune uh coming out of michigan This was in 1987. This report reported that 71% of 21.7 million raised, allegedly kept by the Shriners, being spent on travel, entertainment, fraternal ceremonies, fundraising, food, and so on. So the Daily Tribune of Michigan (laughs) reporting back in 1987 that 71% of the $21.7 $21.7 million raised, kept for their own purposes. The Orlando Sentinel in 1986 had a four-part series, and it was confirmed in their article about the IRS, confirmed through the IRS that they, the hospitals themselves only received 1% of an estimated $17.5 million raised from the Shriner circuses. Mm. And so... Uh, it's always good to know where your money's going when you're yeah. given to charities. Wow. And oftentimes it seems that the Shriners, and you can look it up online, you can find articles. That's all I did. Once I was made aware of this, I just began to ser- do online searches, and uh, it's there that they've been kind of busted yeah. for uh, using the funds that were supposed to go to help the children and using it for their own uh, purposes. Yeah, I mean, they may be doing some good works, and God bless them for helping children and the the hospitals. But if we are to call out places like Marxists or we're to call out Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation that uh, raised, I think it was $80 million, but it never got to the inner city communities that needed it, the black communities in America. Uh, one of the co-founders bought a $6 million home. Where where did you get that money? Well, $80 million was raised in 2020, 2021, when there were riots on the streets in America. So if we're going to expose that, we need to also be honest and say, all right, the Shriners do some good things, but look at this corruption. Um, I want to go briefly back to the red fez that they wear on their hats, John. We mentioned this briefly last time, and they also are buried with these. Apparently, um, it's a symbol that, that they are that they take to the grave. What is this red fez? It's an example of this double meaning of uh, Freemasonry. It's worn by every Shriner, carried to the grave. Uh, here's the, the deal. The city of Fez, F-E-Z, a Moroccan city, uh, was conquered, and they were shouting, the Muslim hordes were shouting, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And they butchered the Christian community there in the city of Fez, and they shouted the name Allah, Now, the Shriners' blood oath and confession of Allah as God is documented in the secret lodge document, the mystic shrine and illustrated ritual of the ancient Arabic order 
uh, nobles of the shrine. That's 1975. You can read this. So remember, Allah is not another name for God. Allah or Allah is a different God, another God. It's another Jesus. So it's fascinating. There's even history when it comes to what the Shriners wear in that red fez. Um, bloodstained caps, basically. Um, John, what are your thoughts briefly? Yeah, so I go back to being raised up around the Lodge, and I don't remember Shriners being part of the Waukegan Lodge, although they may have been. I just have no knowledge of it. My knowledge of the Shriners uh, basically is the parades that we would have in town and the clowns and the motorcycles and the things that they did. My dad was at one point offered to be sponsored to become a Shriner, but he never went to that Um, and I don't know, I always viewed that it was probably a financial thing, but then I read about the corruption of the Shriners. He may have had different (laughs) reasons why he didn't want to go there, but, um, it's, it's really, um, kind of wrapping up some of this. We need to understand that there's this lower order, the average Masons usually only requiring the first three degrees, Mm -hmm. which is known as the blue lodge. And then the higher order which I believe that higher order really makes its transition, it seems, from the 32nd degree of the Scottish Rite, which my dad was, but that 33rd degree, that is a step that you can't earn it through going through reading books and kind of going through their steps. It has to be appointed to you or gifted to you. And uh, that's kind of where most Masons are really ignorant of the higher order of these things but to get into that secret society um that kind of takes you to that higher order of the masonic lodge where most masons aren't part of that and i don't believe my dad was part of that as well although he's not here for me to ask him but uh he would more classify in that lower order because of the strong faith that they had in christ Mm. um as i said the appeal of the Masonic Lodge grew less and less in my dad's life as he drew closer to Christ. And so he died pretty young, so we didn't get to see the end of the story Mm -hmm. uh, because he died when he was in his mid-50s. So I wonder how far, you know, if he would have been one to totally have walked away. Um, But I can't. All I can do is kind of wonder about that because he was taken from us, from my perspective, way too young. Mm -hmm. Well, 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 17, a good reminder for people that uh, God says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers and come out from among them. Uh, touch no unclean thing. Be separate. And also, Matthew, when it comes to swearing any oath, let alone blood oaths, he says, above all, do not swear by heaven or earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, or you'll be condemned. And so many other scriptures that point to some of the practices of the religion of Freemasonry and say, no, 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 no. This is not biblical, so here's a warning. Share this information with your friends or people that you know. John, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Thank you, David. A joy to be with you. Tomorrow, Pastor Chris Quintana. God bless you. Keep speaking the truth.